Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in our hearts and our minds, that they might be illumined by a knowledge of your Son, Jesus, and his words spoken to us. We pray that our lives would not just manifest uh, the behavior of hearing your word, but we would also be doers of it. So we ask you to transform us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, it's one, wonderful to be with you all today. Um, I, I think I met a lot of you when you were walking in the door. Uh, Charlie Holt and um, Father Joe, I think, is now in Europe. Lucky dog. <laughs> yeah, sabbatical, wow. Well, uh, I'm going to be with you for a few Sundays, I think four Sundays, um, I, I would say I have a four-part sermon series for you, but uh, I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> but I, um, I do want to spend some time today thinking with you about the Great Commission. This is Trinity Sunday, and so one of the reasons why we read the Great Commission on Trinity Sunday is because um, when we're leading people to Jesus, uh, we're actually leading them into a relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's this master plan that Jesus has for his church, and that is to reconcile the people of the world through, uh, this is the Father's plan, to reconcile the people of the world through his Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And all three persons of the Holy Trinity are engaged in the process of reconciling the world to God. And so when we bring a new person into the faith and we baptize them, we baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, baptism by any other name is simply not baptism. Uh, you, you need to be baptized properly according to the command and the teaching of the Lord. And so, um, you know, the Great Commission, I, I love what Rick Warren said when he said the a church that uh, is great is one that follows the great commandment and the great commission. Um, this church is a great commission church, I believe. I, I noticed in the back of your um, bulletin, you have things like your mission statement. Church of Our Savior exists to help people, wherever they are in their spiritual journey, live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. What a, wonder, what a wonderful calling that this congregation has to lead people into a personal relationship with the Lord. And that's what the Great Commission is fundamentally about. Uh, Jesus ascends into the heavenly realms and takes the right hand of God the Father. And in having that place, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to him. And so he commands his people, his disciples, go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded to you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Something we should just have up here memorized in our brains. We should be able to rattle it off like that because that's the marching orders for us as the body of Christ, the church. One of the things that I've been doing is I've been thinking a lot about the larger picture of the Diocese of Florida. You know, this is a, a pretty big geographic area. It goes all the way over to Tallahassee and down to Gainesville, even to Micanopy, which is, you know, Micanopy. 
And, uh, and so uh, when you add it all up, it's about, I think, 25 counties. And, and so I got curious, like, how has the Diocese of Florida been doing in, in leading the people that live in our community to Jesus and into a relationship with God? And so I did a little um, statistical analysis of going back to 1980s and looking at uh, the membership of the Diocese of Florida. And, and here's you know, some interesting and somewhat sobering statistics. But back in the 1980s, the, the Diocese of Florida, and I'm talking about all of the churches, it was, at that time it was uh, 69 congregations, and uh, the, the, the Episcopal Church in the diocese had 25,737 members at that time which represented, this is an interesting way to think about it, um, I, I'm like, well, what, what percentage of the population was that back then? And, and at that time, in these, this area, there was 1,339,567 people, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, we were reaching 1.92% of the population as members of the Episcopal Church. Two percent. That seems like a good percentage, you know. Like I'm sure the Baptists have a higher percentage, and and the Methodists, and you start adding in all of the Christian denominations. I mean, maybe you could say we're doing our part. You know, we're doing our share, uh, getting two percent. That seems pretty good. Well, what happens as you move to our time and our our day? Well, the actual number of members in our churches goes down. We now have 23,871 members on the roll, exactly, uh, of the uh, Diocese of Florida. And we've lost a couple of churches. We're down to 67 churches. And, but the population of this region has skyrocketed. More than doubled, actually, during that period of time. It's now 2,774,892 people that live in this diocese. And so the percentage of people that we have been reaching and leading to the Lord is now 0.86%. Just in 40 years, we've lost a lot of ground in terms of the number of people that we have been making disciples of Jesus Christ and, and teaching them to obey. And, you know, I... I, I um, I don't want you to feel too bad like it's not all on you. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, some of it's because of, of just the culture that we live in. Um, statistically speaking, only about 15% of the, the population was uh, attending church in North Florida um, pre-COVID. And after COVID happened, that number is more like 10% of the population is in church on any given Sunday. And we know people don't come to church every single week, right? So, you know, maybe there's 20% or 30% of the population that are actively involved in church. But what that should tell us is that we have a lot of work to do when it comes to the Great Commission. And, and part of the reason why I'm giving you some of these sobering statistics is because... Um, we need to develop within the body of Christ 
a sense of urgency to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ as he handed it to the, the apostles at that time, which continues to be our marching orders to this day, to go and uh, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has taught us. Well, let me, let me just you know, back up a little bit and ask the question, well, what, what is a disciple? That's a good question. You know, what, how would you define what, a, what is a disciple? Ever thought about it? Um, one definition that I found in a, in a, in a book on discipleship, uh, someone who is following Jesus. That's a good, good start. Someone who is following Jesus Someone who is being changed by Jesus. I like adding that to it too. There, there needs to be not just someone that is, says, well, I'm following you, Jesus, but there has to be some kind of transformation of life and change of life that is becoming more and more like Jesus. And then they added one more piece to a disciple is somebody who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So a disciple is, is not just somebody who is in it for themselves, but they actually exist for that which is outside of themselves. William Temple, the, one of the great archbishops of the Anglican Church, he said, the church is the only institution in the world that exists for the benefit of those who do not belong to it. And yet, ironically, um, when people are polled who are members of churches, there was a, a man named um, Wen Arn who wrote a little book called Jesus. Uh, the, the, uh, let me get the get it right. Um, the Master's Plan for Making Disciple. Wen Arn. He asked members of a thousand churches, "Why does the church exist?" And eighty-nine percent of them said to take care of my family and my needs. And 11% uh, said the reason for the church's existence is to win the world for Jesus. Then he asked the pastors of those same 1,000 churches, what is your sense of why the church exists? And 90% of them said to win the world for Jesus. And 10% said to care for its members. Seems like we have a disconnect. I mean, certainly we want to care for the members of the church, and that's an important responsibility of the church is to provide pastoral care and, and opportunities for fellowship and to build up the, the body of Christ. That's definitely an aspect of the, of the purpose of the church. But, but if we are to be about the Great Commission, we must have a vision that extends beyond ourselves. And so not only do we need to understand what it means to be a disciple— um, and to, uh, to get that definition somewhat right. But it also then becomes imperative on all of us to understand, well, what, is, what does it take to make a disciple? How do you do it? How do you take somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all and introduce them into a personal relationship with the triune God and, and lead them through a process to where at the end of of, of the process, she would go, we now have a disciple. We now have somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
we have, in the words of the Great Commission, made a disciple. How do you do that? Well, um, Jesus gives us two things in this Great Commission that uh, are the, the modifiers, the participial phrases that, that explain and, and elucidate what it means to make a disciple. He says one aspect of making a disciple is you need to baptize them. They need to be baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Then the second thing is that you need to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So let's think about the first one. Uh, you need to baptize these people. If you're making disciples, then, then fundamentally one of the first things that we will be about is leading people into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we're trying to think about, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we bring a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor or somebody that I meet on the street into a, into a relationship with Jesus Christ so much so that they want to be baptized? And, and what does it mean to be baptized? But to be fully immersed into the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be fully immersed into the life of Jesus Christ to where we want to um, give our lives to him as our Lord and our Savior and repent of Satan and the corrupt powers of the world and the sin nature and, and uh, just be all in for Jesus, that our lives would, would be willing to do anything for him. In other words, we're ready to give it all up for him. The way Jesus put it is, um, if anyone would want to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and follow me. And so the invitation to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is, come to the triune God and die. It's a pretty tough sell. And yet, on the other side of that cross, we are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, but so that we might come out the other side resurrected into the life of Jesus Christ, and to become a new person. The way Paul puts it, you know, whoever is in Christ is new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And, and that's what the Lord is inviting us into, is, is one part of making disciples, is to go out into all the different nations and peoples of this world and lead them into that reconciled relationship with God. We had a, um, a ministry at my church in, in Houston, St. John the Divine, uh, which was called ESL, English as a Second Language. And, you know, Houston, this was something that kind of surprised me about Houston. It's a little bit different than Florida. Um, there are a lot of similarities. It's uh, the, the H's are all there, hurricanes, humidity, and heat. <laughs> yeah, you have all of that. Um, when, we, when we got there, the first week there, Hurricane Harvey hit. So uh, that was a very interesting experience. But um, in our ESL program, this is something that's very unique about Houston. It is one of the most diverse cities in the country. People from literally all over the world 
for some reason, go to Houston. I mean, the business opportunity is probably the main reason. And the fact that there's people from all over the world there attracting other people from all over the world. So we, um, we started, we had this woman in our church, her name was Barbara, um, started a ministry of ESL, and she began to pray about it and, and uh, asked whether um, I was in charge of the classrooms of the, of the church. And so she said, can I use one of the classrooms on, during the week for ESL program? Shouldn't bother any, anybody or anything. Sure. So she put the shingle out, and she got like four or five people, and she felt so disappointed. She's like, God, you know, four or five people, that just really isn't a critical mass for, for what I'm hoping to, to do here with the class. And so she fleeced the Lord, which I don't recommend doing this, but she did it. <clears throat> she said, Lord, I'm going to pray for 100 days for 100 students. And uh, when you do that kind of thing, you got to be careful. Uh, but she did it, and she split, you know, she prayed 100 days for 100 students, and, and it got up to 150, and she's like, no more students, Lord! <laughs> 150 people, they came from 44 different countries. They spoke 33 different languages. And this woman's uh, vision was to teach them English so that they could meet Jesus and read the Bible and, uh, and hear, hear the faith so we could communicate the gospel to them. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I've never seen anything like it, you know, people giving their lives to the Lord. We baptized a woman from Russia whose husband was assassinated by uh, Putin. We had um, a person at that ESL program who was from China and she was she and her daughter, uh, Jessica, is just a you know, lovely young lady with her young daughter, um, were sitting outside the, the church one Sunday morning. And I, and I said, you know, Alina, you're sitting outside. And, and she goes, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to go in. I'm like, you're, you don't know whether you're allowed to go in the church? Of course you're welcome to go inside. And she goes, oh, I'm allowed? I I'm like, yeah, come on in. <laughs> So after church, I asked her, I said, well, what did you, you know, how was it? What was it like? And, and she said, you know, I haven't felt that since I was a young girl in my grandmother's church in China. And I felt, a, I felt something. Now, she couldn't speak the, the language, but she was feeling the Holy Spirit in the midst of the people of God. She gave her life to the Lord was baptized along with her daughter. It was a, a woman who was raised in a Muslim family, kind of a secular Muslim family, named Sue, and, and uh, you know, she um, took a course called the Alpha Course, which is a basic course on Christianity. It's one of the things that we would offer to the ESL group is, is the Alpha Course. And a lot, a lot of people gave their lives to the Lord through that. And uh, I had the privilege of baptizing Sue in, in a hot tub in an apartment complex on Christmas Eve. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Which is the proper way to do it. But she wanted to do fully immersion. So, you know, one aspect of making disciples 
is leading people to Jesus. And beloved, there's an entire world out there that the way that scriptures describe people that are not connected to God is lost. Without God, without hope. Um, lacking direction. Um, tossed to and fro by the winds and waves of raging seas. Every wind and changing doctrine. Spiritually dead. When Jesus looked out on the crowds, he said, they're harassed and helpless. They're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the problem is, is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. And who did he uh, raise up and send out into the harvest field? The very people he challenged to start praying about it. The disciples who had to become disciple makers and evangelists. The second part of making a disciple is teaching. And um, it's interesting that Jesus really, you know, he, he focused on the masses. He, he reached out to the masses, but he invested in a very small group of people, um, 12. For three years, he called a, this tiny group of kind of a motley crew, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, and so on. And he just poured into them um, teaching. And it, it was interesting. He didn't have like a course of study or curriculum as far as I can tell. Um, basically, he did what um, I like to call it, you know, discipleship by walking around. You probably heard of management by walking around if you're in the business world where you just kind of, you know, manage by, you know, walking around going, oh, what's going on over here in your department? And, you know, tell me about what you're doing. And, and, and you know, just being engaged in the regular everyday activities of the company. Well, the same thing as discipleship by walking around. Jesus would just go through life with these men and uh, his followers, and they would go to different towns and villages, and whatever came up in life, you know, maybe it was a person that needed healing, or it was a, an opportunity to, to, you know, teach some people some things, or some interactions with some skeptical people, or whatever it was, all of these became opportunities to invest in these 12 people and to teach them uh, about the kingdom of God and, and what its significance is and what it means and how to be faithful and to obey him and to follow God. And, and he would just pour into them over and over again different things. And, and it wasn't just you know teaching, but it was also modeling. Jesus said, I have come to give you an example. And so he would do things that would show them what it looked like to be truly human, to be truly faithful to what God the Father was, was calling us to be as human beings. And uh, no one can improve on the teaching of, of Jesus, right? And yet so many people don't really know it. And so not only do we need to convert people, and this is the problem with sort of the mass evangelism approach where you go into a football stadium like Billy Graham and, and preach to the masses. Well, who's going who's to teach them over time and invest in their lives? And uh, this one of the problems with evangelism alone is that we need to know what's next. And that's the, the process of making a disciple 
by teaching them to follow Jesus and what does it mean to pick up your cross and to be raised to new life and to be filled with the spirit of the living God. So I want to end just by, um, you know, asking you, you know, there, even, even on the day that Jesus gave the Great Commission, it's interesting, people are in different places. There was some, it says, they, some worshipped him. And it says, others doubted. That was the disciples. After the resurrection. When the people are in different places. We're always in different places. And that's okay. But, uh, you know, I'm going to give you a, a couple of stages here. And I just want to ask you to think about these things. You know, where am I in this? On one level, you just need to come to know Jesus Christ. You need to be converted to him. And maybe some people that are gathered here haven't really fully done that, giving your life to Jesus. And so maybe the next step for you is to be baptized or to, or to just uh, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, to, to say, I'm all in. I'm, I want to follow you as my Lord. Um, be reconciled to God. That's, that's one phase that people sometimes are in. Another is, is, is to become a disciple yourself. You know, in order to, uh, to lead something into something, you actually need to be one. So, you know, ask yourself the question, am, am I being a disciple? You know, do I have the investment of teaching and have I been converted and am I being transfigured and transformed into the image of Jesus and to, and to God? And, and am I um, focused on the mission of Christ? You know, so that own, your own discipleship is critically important. I think a third level is actually becoming an evangelist. Knowing how to take a person like Olena or Sue or, you know, your neighbor down the street or your children and lead them to the Lord so that they can become reconciled to God. So that's important, to become an evangelist, to learn how to build a relationship uh, with others in order that they might have a relationship with God. And then a fourth level is to become a disciple maker. To actually have your group of folks that you're investing in, mentoring in the faith. That you're, that you're pouring out through your example, through your teaching, through your investment in their lives as you do life together over time, spending time, a lot of time together, um, just helping your disciples making mission materialize. And I think the most, you know, the final level, if you really want to get to level five uh, of disciple making, um, is to be, to know how to be a disciple maker of disciple makers. To know how to, uh, in the words of Paul, entrust the faith to faithful men and women who will entrust the faith to others. In other words, to have a multiple generation view of how the Christian life and the Christian faith is multiplied. Now, where are you on that scale? It's okay to just be getting to know Jesus. But, you know, progress over time in a congregation like this, as dynamic as you all are, um, I think the, the statistics will change.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of uh, this church, for the call of being about the Great Commission. We ask that you would inspire our hearts and our minds to, to follow you, to be faithful to you. And wherever we are in our journey of making disciples and fulfilling your Great Commission, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to take an additional step, that we might um, get out of our comfort zone and start to, to um, be available to you for the next phase in our growth in the fulfillment of this incredible mission that you have for this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.